We didn't establish who was leading in. You got it. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, go for it, bro. <laughs> Sorry. Typical. Welcome back to the John Cheese Show interview time. We are here. We are back with a really good interview. Um, actually, is, is my wavelength hot? I was just asking that real quick because it, it is seems, a little hot. Yeah, it, is it seems hot. a little hot. You can, yeah. you can stand and turn the game down a bit. Thanks. Ah, oh, we'll do so. <clears throat> yeah, okay. Well, let's try that again. You're listening to The John Chi Show, hosted by three Korean-American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean, American, and more. And now, here's your hosts, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. What is up? Everybody, we are the John C. Show, back with another fantastic episode. Uh, Nathan, Patrick, how are you guys? Doing I'm good. doing great. How are I'm you so, doing? I, I like that energy. Hey, uh, yeah, uh, I'm doing good. It feels, it honestly feels really nice to be <laughs> back in the Zencaster recording, even though like it was fantastic being with y'all in person in LA. I missed uh, not being able to like type messages to you while we were talking. <laughs> so. Yeah, I like talking to you, but not right next to you. I want to be person. at least yeah. four states away. I, maximum. I actually exactly. prefer you virtually. <laughs> I hate being in the same physical space, the digital space. I really enjoy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I took a shower, guys. I mean, come on. Yeah, Jeez. it was just it was a, just a little too close, just a little too close. Okay. okay. Well, also Patrick, you're a little too tall for us, I guess. It just makes us, you know. Oh, we did stick you in the middle. Short. That was yeah, maybe true. poor planning on our part. That's yeah. fine. It's fine. I am heightist, yeah, so it's, fine. it's symmetry. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, we're heightist on the show. We're not. We are very heightist and not height yeah. beer. Come not, down to our um, height. <laughs> Cool. Uh, what are we doing? What does John Chi mean for somebody who may not be listening to the show ever before and never again because of this intro? And <laughs> uh, yeah, John Chi means to feast or to, well, it means to feast. It could also be translated as banquet. Uh, <laughs> if you added John Chi Heyo or John Chi Hamnida, it would be to do banquet or to do feast. Uh, so yeah, uh, but um, we I call ourselves feast. the Janji Show because <laughs> I do feast. Uh, <laughs> we call ourselves the Janji Show because uh, we're here to feast, to celebrate, to banquet upon um, our stories, our inter- intersectional identities. Uh, oftentimes with the help of a guest, sometimes solo. Um, and then at the end of the show, we feast slash banquet upon a Korean food or drink item, unless it's not Korean. In which case, it's just generally from that continent of Asia. And hopefully, it's just not a banquet. Expired. And hopefully, I'm coming around to the banquet expired. definition. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. It? Yeah, I'm kind of feeling it. I'm like, you know what? Maybe we've been doing it wrong for 143 episodes. You know what? <laughs> or 141. It's never I too guess. late to course correct. Okay, it's never too late. No, I know. Hey, I'm, I still I'm, need to, I'm here for it. I'm still. I know we didn't. We had an opportunity, but we didn't have the John Chi noodles. So. I don't know. Next time. Next time we're in LA. Yeah, sorry to mm. the people who demanded that we try the John Chi <laughs> noodles. Jelaine. We did not build that into our But itinerary. I did bring back one. Uh I I, I got one from uh, some of the guests uh he, he drew, but she uh gave me that 
you know, the package of says John Chi noodles on it. So I haven't made it yet, but uh, I just feel like the moment we oh, all have John Chi noodles together is the moment the show ends. Like we <laughs> is that the last eat, episode of the show? We all eat John Chi noodles and say John Chi hey and then that's the end. And we fly <laughs> off into the sunset and that's the end of and the show. The so we sunsets. can probably, we can probably never have them. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then we're in a no. new apocalypse where There's the earth is more frozen John-Chi. over. <laughs> the sunsets no, forever. Right. Climate change takes over. And You've that's the end of the world. world. And yep, and that's that's it. That's uh, so yeah. All right, that could be a lot of episodes. You from can now. never have enough noodles, just like you can <laughs> never have enough John Chi. That feels show. like a shirt. That I does know, feel maybe. like a shirt. <laughs> uh, that would be my first shirt purchase from for our show. <laughs> Nathan, <laughs> you uh, you should get on that. Also, <laughs> listeners, if you have merch ideas, send them Nathan's way. Sure, uh, I wish I could some merch make something new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're taking some mm. some merch merch ideas. So I wanted um, to make uh, chopsticks and uh, soy sauce bottles, but uh, it wasn't very practical. We yeah, we couldn't get the logistics figured out. But I did make golf balls though. But that's another story. Do people have their own <laughs> custom soy sauce bottles that they use? That isn't. <laughs> I saw them on Etsy. You can do it. Oh, well, okay. Well, yeah. Oh, we've got. <laughs> I know it's feeling like big solo energy, but this is speaking of custom things. Okay. Oh yeah, like guitar. I was gonna say yeah. I was gonna say we're talking to someone this week who does a lot of custom building of their own. Okay. All right. Right? Yes. That's right. Yes. That's that's technically true. Yeah. Yeah. See, Uh, I got good segues sometimes. Generally, my segues are pretty good. Eight out of ten. Unless they're terrible. Then they're eight (laughs) out of a hundred. So not that good. But um, he he adds an he adds a zero. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Hurley joins us on the show. Um, yes. AKA John KJ. What do we talk about this episode? Uh, yeah. So we talk about him being out in Nashville. We talk about him chasing his dream and pivoting into, um, being a professional musician, uh, being a session guitarist and being on tour, uh, his entry into the Korean adoptee space, his re-entry into that space. Uh, it's a really fantastic interview. There's not a lot of guitar talks of your, Coming here for any of the gear talk, I cut it all out because mm. it's about adoption stuff. Mm. But you would have to talk to talk to Go us. To his TikTok or his Instagram. Yeah, or <laughs> just message him and he'll talk your ear off about gear. Uh, yeah, but that's a, it's a really, really fun interview. Uh, there's a dog at the end, which is surprising. <laughs> Love um, pet cameos. Always one yeah, of my favorite things. Always here for the doggos. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so we're going to roll that tape right now. Welcome back to the John Chi Show interview portion. We are here with an amazing interview. I can only assume because I'm excited. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think it's going to be an amazing, amazing thing. John, John Hurley is with us. Thank you. Welcome. And how are you? I'm doing good. You know, it's been it's been the, quite the ride the last few weeks. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, it's been a few months since we've seen you. So I know we we all uh, hung out at uh, at uh, Con this year. So um, it's true, we were all there. Nathan, or, I mean, <laughs> we, KJ was definitely there. <laughs> KJ was definitely at Con. Yeah, KJ but, was there uh, in spirit. Yes, and physically. Yeah, we have a picture of him with us. <laughs> we have the, a group photo. Yeah, completely not photoshopped. Yeah, no, was, I don't even know what that means. Yeah, it's not Canva'd. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't definitely I, not. It wasn't AI or anything. But John, welcome. Um, you know, we are we're looking forward to this interview. And uh, like all of our our shows and episodes, 
Uh, we'd like to start with you telling us as much or as, as little about your story as you'd like. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate you guys very much. Um, and it was awesome to meet you guys at Con. But um, yeah, uh, so I guess where to start? Well, I was adopted from South Korea when I was two months old and uh, to my parents, Susan and Tony. Um, my mom is a German, or a German Italian um, descent, and my dad is full-blooded Irish. He is also an immigrant. Um, so, yeah, I, I was adopted um, from uh, Daejeon, was my city of origin. Um, and honestly, as a young, young, young adoptee, I didn't really kind of see myself as Korean at all in the slightest. Um, like everyone, when we're young, we, uh, we're told, just assimilate, just, just act like everybody else. And I grew up in very rural, uh, Pennsylvania. So, um, there weren't many, uh, Asian people at all <laughs> or people of color at all. Um, however, like in my elementary school, I was one of two Asian people and one of three people of color to put it in perspective. Mm. So I grew, I grew up in a very, very, very white Christian, um, type of, uh, type of background. So, um, yeah, um, I didn't really think much of my adoption at all, to be completely frank up until, um, up until I moved to California and, um, that was in 2005 and I realized, because moving from rural Pennsylvania to California, um, this was a big culture shock. There were a lot more Asian people. A lot I got introduced to my first Korean people in California. And what I realized is I didn't fit in well with either white people or Asian people at the time. So I was very kind of in my own world. I called myself a floater all through uh, middle school and high school. Um, I had very limited kind of big friend groups and I was kind of more just kind of making singular friends here and there. And uh, what I realized was through all of that, um, I'm different. And I think that's one of the main things as adoptees we go through. We know that we're we're not white, but we're not Asian. So we're like somewhere in the middle um, and trying to find where we kind of fit in in the world and in life. That was a major challenge of my, um, of my high school years. Um, I, I was always told by my, uh, non-Asian friends like, Oh, you're like, you probably eat with chopsticks. You probably like, um, you probably eat all this Asian food and, and grew up eating a bunch of that stuff. And I said, no. Um, but then when I would try to go hang out with my, uh, Asian classmates, it would be very much like, Oh, you're not Asian enough you're like, you don't speak the language. You don't, um, you don't really, you aren't one of us. And a lot of my existence through high school was feeling like I didn't have anywhere to belong. And, um, I didn't know why. And I call it the, uh, the hole in the heart syndrome thing where I always felt like there was something I was missing. And I tried to fill that hole with, I mean, we're, we're we were all in high school, uh, drinking a bunch of alcohol and, and mm -hmm. doing a bunch of stupid stuff. And through all of these experiences, nothing I did filled kind of that void. And so I kind of just 
brushed it off and I kind of just lived with it my entire life. And I didn't, I didn't really understand why I felt the way I did until slightly more recently. And that kind of brings us up until like, I just sped through my upbringing, but like that brings us up to like my mentality and how I got into the adoption community. I, um, I started kind of feeling like my life has finally started to settle down, bought a house here in Nashville. Um, and I'm, I moved around so much when I was young, I didn't really have a chance to absorb like anything about myself other than, Oh my God, I have to start over for the 50th time or 60th time or whatever. Um, and I tell people all the time, I moved nine times in the last decade. So <laughs> I'm, all over the place. So this is the first time in a decade where I've been able to kind of slow down and really absorb kind of who I am and who I want to be and and all the facets of of um, my humanity as a human. And um, through that, I realized, man, adoption is one of those things where I don't know if I want to uncork it and come and like experience, like try to kind of get back in the community. Um, but it was something that I had this like deep visceral kind of feeling that I needed to do at some point that I was like, I, this is a part of my identity and who knows like what it's going to uncork. So, um, I got sent the Johnchi show by a couple friends and, um, started listening and I was like, Oh my God, so many people have such similar experiences to me. This is insane. Um, and so I would listen to them at work. You guys have seen me building amps while at work and listening to the podcast <laughs> And my boss would come out once in a while and I would be like crying for no reason and like trying, trying to like build amps and crying at the same time. And she's, she's like, what, what's going on with you? And I'm like, this, per like this person on this podcast, I relate so heavily. So all in all, like my, my experience is one of massive amounts of shove it off until later and try to figure out if it's really that, or if it's like, um, I don't know, like lack of friendship, lack of other aspects of my life. But then I realized going to con, no, adoption is such a huge part of why I am the way I am that I have to do this journey and go down this, uh, go down this kind of rabbit hole of, of self exploration. Um, or else I feel like I would regret it when I was older. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. It's a lot of that I, I totally resonate with as well with the um, moving to California. Uh, I, you know, and also, of course, growing up in a, in a predominantly white neighborhood and, and city. But then I did come to Colorado first for college. And then after that, I went to, to California and Colorado had a few Asians, but there weren't many. I mean, there was like, in, I was in a fraternity. So there was like one in every fraternity pretty much. And, and then when, yeah, going to California was like an eye opening experience for me. Um, when you did that, I, I'm curious because I didn't really do this, but I was curious if anyone, um, you know, when they move out to, to California sometimes, when they see, you said you met your first Korean, did you also meet your first Korean adoptee? Or did you ever look for an adoptee community also while you were out in California? I, I shoved it to the deepest parts of my soul enough to where like I didn't even like register that that could be a, a, a thing to look for. Um, what I did find was one of my closest friends in high school, her name was Sun Young, and she was very traditional Korean. Um, and her, I, well, we played tennis together in high school and I would go over to her house and her mom, 
very, very sweet uh, Korean lady would always introduce me to some facets of Korean culture because she like she realized, yeah, you're Korean, but like nothing about you is Korean on the inside. So she took it upon herself to kind of be my Korean amma in a way and and so i ate my first korean meals with that family in high school um she introduced me to kimchi she introduced me to um to bulgogi all all the basic korean foods um she made homemade and i'm like getting emotional talking about it because like if i didn't have that sort of experience i don't think i would have ever tried korean food like almost ever up until maybe college yeah so having somebody in uh in the community in california really did help kind of awaken that like that part of me where i was like oh this actually tastes like home right Mm -hmm. like we talk all the time as adoptees like we lose so much we lose our not only our birth families but our culture our food all of that stuff so when being reintroduced to it it kind of felt like oh man this is like what I feel like I'm supposed to be eating. Mm. Like this, it's, it, it tasted familiar. And I feel like that's part of like the adoptive experience is like, I can't speak for everyone, but for me, it's feeling familiar with all of the Korean like culture and food, but not exactly understanding why you're familiar with it. It's like, I go to the Korean grocery store down the street and there's a specific smell when I walk into that store that for some reason I can never shake it. It feels familiar. And I walk in. (laughs) No, do you know how Korean? Okay. Do you know how Korean grandmas have a smell? It's that kind of like sweet floral. I don't know how to explain it, but it just (laughs) smelled like home. (laughs) And I was like, man, like it really is like, as a guitar player, we take in so much sensory information. Um, so I'm very kind of in tune with like feeling familiar in the senses and what feels familiar and what feels nostalgic. Um, so for me, all of like that aspect of meeting other Koreans and other Korean, uh, I never met another Korean adoptee actually, but um, meeting other Koreans and other Asian people and being introduced to the culture, it definitely, it definitely felt like, familiar and homely is how i describe it yeah how much of that feeling do you feel like do you feel like you were chasing that feeling as you were like moving around you talked about how you've been in nine places over the last 10 years you know and you finally kind of found a settling down do you feel like that was a something maybe even in the back of your mind that you were chasing after during that period Uh, oh yeah and i i know um, we adopt these all the time, talk about the attachment stuff. I, I, I have a really hard time growing up kind of making deep connections with people because I was always afraid in the back of my mind, oh, well, they're just going to leave anyway, right? Like, or this is such a short-term thing, I'll probably move in X amount of years, right? So I never invested the time or the energy into those long-lasting deep connections. So I feel like when I was moving around, I was searching for something to cling on to that gave me that sense of feeling like I belong somewhere, if that makes sense. A hundred percent. Yeah, I can really resonate with that. Um, I don't know if it's like, I don't know that I was chasing something. I like that. I like the language of hole in the heart syndrome. I think that's a good 
I haven't heard that specific descriptor before, but I'm like, I like that. I like that because I always knew that there was something missing, but it's like, how do I, what is it? And then I never had the language to articulate it, you know? And it's like, I didn't even have Korean people when I was growing up to like have a meal with. I was just like, you know what? Maybe I will have kimchi at some (laughs) point in my life. And allegedly I did before I even joined the show. So, you know, it's like, and it's weird how sometimes we can, like we, like those things are the things that I wanted, I think. But for whatever reason, my own trauma forced me to even suppress that memory. Even that very basic, simple memory of, oh, I had kimchi. I went to a Korean restaurant once. I'm like, I don't even, I can't honestly, even to this day, can't even remember that. Like there's some block there. And I've been doing and now I've been doing this work on myself for over three years. And so I think that's really interesting. Another thing, too, and I feel like I've been bringing this up a lot uh, on our interviews lately, but a lot of adoptees I feel like that we talk to have find themselves pursuing a creative avenue for whatever reason. Oh, yeah. Um, can, I you share, that too. yeah, yeah. <laughs> can you share a little bit about because you for the listener John's got a bunch of guitars hanging behind him, as he said. But he, he is a guitar player. Plays drums. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't do any of that. He it's just, all yeah, for he show. Just yeah. Um, <laughs> can you share a little bit about that journey and how that has you know intermingled or intertwined with your journey of identity as well? Oh, totally. This is a huge topic for me because that con I shared in um, one of the sessions regarding like aging family members. Um, part of the reason why I hold quite a lot of resentment towards uh, one of my two parents is when I was young, I was always a musical kid as, as like a four-year-old kid, I was playing piano. Um, I have a very musical family on my mom's side. So I picked up the guitar when I was about 10 and I had, I I have had ADHD since I was a kid. So I never would have kind of had the discipline to sit and learn an instrument, but I had broken my leg in like middle school <laughs> at the beginning of middle middle school. So I had no other choice but to sit around and do something. And as fate had it, um, my cousin showed up and, and taught me how to play basics of guitar. So as I went through that, I realized, man, I'm really, really good at this. Um, I was my, my teacher's best student growing up. Um, and I entered a bunch of talent shows. I was playing gigs by the time I was 13. Um, so I, I was always in that. And as soon as I turned 16, um, in like, what is that high school freshman year in high school, I think, or something like that. Um, I had gone to Berkeley college of music's five week summer performance program. And, um, I had the intention of applying at the end of that program, um, or applying to the, to go to Berkeley college of music, um, to pursue it as a career. But, um, through that whole process, I auditioned and I got in, but, um, about three weeks before I had had to make the decision whether or not to go. Oh, and at all this time, I'm letting my grades in high school tank because I know I got accepted to Berkeley college of music. That's what I'm going to do the rest of my life. But where the identity comes in with it is my, my father, um, sat me down about three weeks before I had to make that decision and told me essentially like, this is, you're going to be a starving artist. Like, I can't support this. Like, why don't you go be an engineer or be, uh, do something else? Music can be on the side. Um, but if you do this, you're going to end up being a starving musician the rest of your life. And, and like, 
it can always be a good hobby. And so essentially 16, 17 year old me got scared. And I, I was like, well, what do I do? My dad's literally telling me I'm going to starve. Um, and he, my dad has uh, multiple master's degrees in engineering. He's a smart guy, but he always, the adoption, the adoption kind of made me feel like I was never good enough to be his son. And I had to constantly chase whatever he wanted me to do with myself because I wanted him to be proud of me. So I gave in to that demand and I didn't go to music school when I should have. And so I enrolled in, um, I'm like a multiple college dropout dude. I went to University of Denver for three years of engineering school and I dropped out because I'm a decently social person. And what was being asked of me was to essentially sit down, study, you don't have a social life. So I dropped out immediately once that semester came where it was like advanced fluid dynamics, thermodynamics, linear algebra. It was like everything at once. And I just, I was like, I can't do this. This isn't who I am. I can't do it. Bye. So I came home and I started working in pharmaceutical industry because my dad offered to get me a job and I needed money. So I worked in pharmaceuticals for about half a decade. Um, I worked my way up to decent standing with many companies. I worked for Genentech out in South San Francisco and then Johnson Johnson in um, uh, Pennsylvania. And But what I realized is one day I, I, I looked at myself in the mirror at work one day and I hated who I was. I just hated it. And I was like, I am inside. I feel like I am long hair, tattoos, guitar player. <laughs> but on the outside, I have to wear a suit and a tie. And, I'm, and then I'm in scrubs for three fourths of the day. So I quit the pharmaceutical industry and um, decided, you know what, I'm just going to start doing music again. So I didn't tell <clears throat> I didn't tell my dad um, that I was doing I was quitting pharmaceuticals because I knew he would literally probably not talk to me. Um, so I quit pharmaceuticals and I went full steam into music. I started practicing guitar. I, I DJed for a little while cause I didn't know exactly what arm of music I wanted to be in anymore. Um, but lo and behold, I had bought one of my boss's guitar amps at a shop near me in California. And it was so inspiring to play through it that I had I sent her in a, a cold email with my resume and cover letter and it was the most honest cover letter ever. I literally said I don't know how to solder. I I don't know anything about about electronics at all, but I'm willing to learn and I really want to be in Nashville cuz Nashville Nashville is the place to be for musicians. And I got a call the next day and we and me and her talked for 2 hours on the phone. And by the end of the call she had offered me the job and um, she was, she needed me out there in 30 days. So I packed up the car and the trailer moved to Nashville. Um, and that's where I am now. And I've been here for two and a half years and, um, I'm, I turned a 10 year town. They call Nashville a 10 year town. I turned that 10 year town into a two year town because I'm already touring and I'm already playing with, 
people that um, you guys have probably all heard of, um, members of Queen and Adam Lambert. Mem- like, it's the it's crazy what I've been able to accomplish in Nashville, and I I always tell people it's all about believing in yourself and believing that you can no matter what anyone else says and what the odds are that you'll make it or not if you work hard enough because i work my butt off but i know that i can do it and i believe in myself enough to do it so that's kind of how i got from like something that i hated it and i hated myself into now i'd like i love who i am and i love what i do with my life and but it's been a long journey to get here Thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, that's, it's very inspiring to hear, you know, um, when, when people follow their dreams and actually find a job that they like and something that they are passionate about, not just for the, for the paycheck or for, for something that their parents tell them to do or, or where they think they need to be because, you know, it was a family business or, or something like that. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I always enjoy hearing stories like that, uh, because, um, I think happiness is like number one thing, you know, for everybody that they need to be following what they, what makes them happy. And yeah. so I commend I you for happy. doing that. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, <laughs> you're happy I'm now, right? You're happy now, aren't you? Well, I, um, I tell people, I tell people all the time, the the main three ways that I live my life. Um, and I think if I, like I stick to these religiously, authenticity, just being my authentic self, kindness, show kindness and empathy to those around me and everybody be genuinely engaged when I talk to them and empathetic with what they're going through and be relentless, just relentless in the pursuit of what you want, what you want to do and relentless in the pursuit of your authentic self. Mm -hmm. Well, I definitely think your story reflects those values. I appreciate you sharing those with us as well. Um, I think that I love that you, like you said, you know, you take the 10 year town, and you make it a two year and like, like that's clearly a sign of that relentlessness that you want to do. It sounds and like a song like you, too. <laughs> oh yeah. That's true. But you feel <laughs> like you, but it, it's interesting because you always in the back of your mind knew who you were, I think, but you were just forced into this box that you didn't want to be in because of the dynamics of adoption and adoptive family. Specifically, <laughs> and yeah, and, it, and it's like a lot of people I think can relate to that. Not not e- out, even outside of the adoptee community, you know. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people go through something like that, especially like children of immigrants. I feel like they go through something similar. Oh, I yeah. think that's where there's like overlap in our communities. Um, when I, I I I liked when you talked about you know playing through the amp for the first time and feeling so inspired. Can you talk about did did that? Also, not only unlock like the musician in you and like that part of your identity, but did that also start to, or maybe not start, but jumpstart the adoption or the adoptee and the maybe Korean American side of your identity as well? Or was that still like, I'm going to relentlessly pursue music and then some of these other pieces of your identity started to come into the fold as well? The funny thing is, that's a really good question. And my boss, uh, her name is Delana. She has been such an inspiration in my life. Um, she she creates amps. We call them emotional translation devices because she design <laughs> she designs things in a way that you plug into them and you immediately feel something like it's 
it, there's nothing quite like what we design at Third Power. And when I plugged in, I I felt like this surge of of I can create and I can I I'm inspired to go write music and go play music now. And it, it and I think that through all of that emotional translation of me playing all these shows as soon as I moved to Nashville, I was if you watch me play, I channel like all of my emotion into my playing. I like I don't just stand there and play like a robot and then play jazz for forever. I I <laughs> I <laughs> I give everything in terms of my emotional energy to whatever I'm playing. And so I do think once I started kind of channeling more emotions through my music, it started to make me realize that there was this hole in the emotional translation where I would I would kind of almost feel like I was faking it. I was mm. fake. I was like pushing really hard to get myself to feel certain things, but I wasn't allowing myself to fully feel what I wanted to feel. And right after con, I got home and I just remember sitting down and playing guitar and just sobbing as I'm playing, just like I'm feeling everything. And since con, and since I've been able to kind of unlock that kind of side of me where I'm, I feel like it's okay to feel the things that I feel. My playing has like just gotten exponentially better. So mm. I, I do think there is an aspect, especially with the type of music that I play and then what I like, what I'm trying to do with my guitar playing that definitely kind of, they go hand in hand. I think one unlocks the other and it's kind of this symbiotic relationship between the instrument, me and what comes out of the guitar amp. It's, it's a very symbiotic thing of like what do i feel well what does that make me feel and then oh that makes me feel this certain way let's let's like lean into that and and then i'll stop playing and explore like i'll sit down and be like okay why do i feel this twinge of pain when i play this thing and what i found was a lot of it was related to just a, adoption like just the other day i sat down and played like a ballad and um it i i didn't realize this is what happened but my boss and her kid have a decently good relationship and she said something like you have my my eyes and your fa and your mother's um and your mother's face like structure and that hit me like a freight train of like i don't know who like who i look like nor do I know if I ever will know who I look like or what my mm. parents even look like. So through music and through like the emotional translation of me sitting down and like allowing myself to feel, um, it unlocked that kind of like pain point of like that conversation that I had overheard that I, that in the back of my mind I knew was there, but it didn't come into my conscious brain until I sat down and played. So that's yeah. kind of how I link the two. Well, and I think it's interesting too, like, I know exactly what you mean when you say like, I played through this amp and it unlocked a lot of things for me. <laughs> like, what I think is interesting is I heard you say early in your story that you met with this, uh, like older Korean woman who like took, took you under her wing and was like, I'm going to teach you all the Korean stuff. Like, here's, here's that stuff. And, and then you find this amp that allows you to express yourself in really specific and nuanced ways. And I think what's unique about artists who don't use uh, spoken language 
to express themselves or don't stick to the rules of maybe like traditional spoken spoken language. So if they're more like poetry, but they're just like, forget all the rules or, you know, whatever. It's interesting because we have the opportunity to have this like really cathartic release. And we talk a lot of the show about the importance of language and like how we're like trying to find language and things. And yet for musicians, it's like, well, I don't, that's not even a thing. I don't even have to get there because I'm busy doing this without language and I'm busy being able to express myself. And, and I think too, what you said about like feeling things in shows or trying to force yourself to feel something uh, pre and post con and like, and you know, like that, like feeling like you were forcing yourself coming up against the wall. I remember the same thing. Like when I, I guess like after we had started the show and I was still living in Springfield, still a worship leader, I was like, I'm definitely forcing myself. I'm doing, I'm, I'm performing well for the people who are there at the church and, you know, expect a good performance. Like, so I'm like meeting my job requirements, but in terms of like myself, I'm definitely forcing this. And, and I never put the two together that what I was going through in my identity journey, uh, through adoption, through Asian Americanness, through religion, et cetera, uh, could have been the thing that was like really gatekeeping me. And I just wonder like, how many adoptees need to be encouraged to to continue to pursue creativity because language isn't necessary you know what i mean and because yeah. like there's just so much that like i we just can't capture yet with words but we can capture with other mediums so i'm curious um your your description uh, in your form says you're a live in session guitarist in nashville and my wife was like like when i read that i was like oh that's the dream and sarah's like what's a session guitarist but what <laughs> can you can you talk to us about um what it's like being a session guitarist and um whether or not you have any like desire to do your own stuff uh whether as an instrumentalist or as a writer or whatever, like what is your, what's your, what's the intersection of your identities and like your day job and like your artistry? Yeah, that's a great question. So for me, uh, guitar to be able to do it in Nashville, I always tell people the top 1% of musicians are in Nashville. So the, if you're, if you're aiming to be at the top of anything here, you have to be like the top, 0.5% of the 1% and the top like 10% of all musicians like or what am I trying to say the top 1% of all musicians you have to be better than 99% of the country yeah essentially is what I'm trying to say um so when it comes to you're gonna play in Nashville you got to be damn yes, good <laughs> you have to be really 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 good um at the end of the day and that's being a session guitarist isn't what I mainly do. I mainly do live, but session work is is something to pay the bills. Uh, it's yeah. it's when someone is like, "Oh, hey, like I have this album. Can you play play on it for me?" And they'll send me they'll send me the track, and I have a recording set up in my house, so I have a cab, an ISO cab in the other room, mic'd up, and um, as you can see, I have multiple amps back here and multiple cabs to choose from, so I I can dial in exactly like the flavor if i'm playing like a church thing or like a christian rock thing i can like dial in a vox ac30 uh but <laughs> if i and i'm I, i'm kidding you not i'm turning into a salesperson for third power but the the claim to fame for our amps is they're multi-voiced so you can go from fender to vox to marshall all on the same amp um 
So like I have the ability to do it from my house so I don't have to go to the studio, but it rec- but and that's the kind of session work I do. Mm-hmm. The the traditional Nashville session guy work thing is there's a guy named Tom Bukovec and he literally is they call him the session man, Uncle Larry the session man. And if you watch him work, he'll have a track in the studio and he'll be able to do a perfect take the first time he will literally like listen to it like for half a second and be like i know exactly what i'm going to play now yeah and he'll be, he'll be able to comp perfectly over for the track um so it comes down to a lot of like trying to trim down the amount of time you're spending on recording and coming up with ideas and getting it really fast and recording it and doing the song justice so it's a lot more nuanced. You you it's a lot more kind of um a knife's edge. You're yeah. very much on a knife's edge when you do session work. You're like this tone needs like a tiny bit more 500 hertz or 800 hertz. Like it's it comes down to being very surgical where live guitar it's kind of like I just have to get close and I have to have a tone that is convincing enough. Um so yeah, session work in Nashville, everyone's trying to be a session player. For me, I only take the work that I know I can do successfully. Um, I don't kind of outstretch myself because that's not the main source of enjoyment for music for me. Um, but if someone asks me to play on an album, I'm not going to turn them down. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. uh, me and uh, my friend is uh, the vocalist from the, uh, from the band Great White, and um, his name's Brett. And he he recently asked me to come down to uh, to uh, freaking um, Alabama and record stuff with him for his album. Um, so I do do session work, but it's not like a main driver of what it is. But in terms of my own creativity, um, the main thing in Nashville is finding people to work with because mm-hmm. everyone has their hands in like 13,000 different pots. So trying to find people that are like-minded, want to do the same type of music, want to write, want to um, record and produce, it's very difficult. Um, so for me, I'm, I keep getting requests for a instrumental guitar album. <laughs> so I, honest, I honestly, if I'm going to do anything, it's probably going to be hiring a bunch of other session players mm. and like doing like a three song or five song EP of just like instrumental guitar stuff. Um, because that's what I enjoy doing, but it, there's no market for that really. It's a very limited, tiny market. So it would, um, it would yeah, it would be, it would be more <laughs> for my own catharsis in that, in that yeah. regard. Sure. Um, I think it's so interesting that, you know, you find yourself in Nashville and I feel like you go to where the musicians are and you talk about, you know, the best musicians are here doing the thing and you've not only ingratiated yourself in that community, like you're like playing with all these people, like you have established yourself as somebody who is a, I'll I'll say a prominent part of this community who, who shows up at these places and plays with all these different people. And that's like, that's like this version of building community. Like you found community with these musicians and these other folks. And then I think it's really interesting. You talked about, you know, playing live, like you want to go and like find the people that you want to play with. And sometimes it can be really difficult. Like it can be difficult to find the right people to play with. And we talk about in the community or like on the show, like 
you enter in the community and can sometimes feel like you have to be friends with everybody and like you have to get along with everybody. And that's not always the case. Like you got, it's really meaningful and impactful when you find your people within this community. I think it, yeah. it goes oh, yeah. longer. Um, it goes a longer way. Can you talk about how going to con or can you talk about the, 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 the con experience for you from a community standpoint? Yeah. Were you able to, find your people in the same way or maybe in, in a similar way as you did when you first went to Nashville? Is that the first time that you had an opportunity to build community like that with other adoptees or what was that experience like for you? So essentially I decided to go just out of nowhere. Cause I think I was listening to your episode from like last year on con and I made the, the split second impulse at work. I was like, I'm going to buy a ticket and I'm going to buy my plane tickets and I'm just going to go. I don't, I don't know anybody who's going, but I don't care. I'll figure it out. Um, so the whole experience for me was everyone thought I was going to be nervous because I was talking to all my friends and they were like, are you nervous to go with like not knowing anybody? I'm like, if people like me, they like me. And if they don't, whatever. I'm, I'm very much in that vein of like, it, I, it, it can't hurt to try. So I, I went into it with a totally open mind and um, immediately... I was worried that I wasn't going to have friends and everyone was, was going to have like their own clique already formed from like other cons. But as soon as like I got off the plane, I met a couple of adoptees like in the shuttle on the way to the, to the mm-hmm. hotel. And then as I was checking into the hotel, like as soon as I got to the hotel, a bunch of people like just surrounded at, like there was just a bunch of adoptees <laughs> that just like surrounded me. <laughs> and we're like, oh, what's your name? How's it going? Like, what's your name? Where are you from? And I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was like inundated with people. And I was just like, wow, this is crazy. Like, what the heck? And um, so immediately I felt super, super comfortable. And like within five minutes of being there, I met Brad. You guys, you guys both met yeah, Brad, yeah. Ber- mm-hmm. Brad Berlin. Yep. And me and him kind of stuck with each other. Um, and, and a couple of people, like, I guess a couple of adoptees had followed me on Instagram and they were, they reached out, uh, Danny Murtaugh is one of the guys who followed me on Instagram and reached out and we met up. Um, so it was actually relatively easy to find community. I met Patrick day one at the, like, day one at the Starbucks. If you you vibe with Patrick, it's very easy (laughs) in to the rest of the community who vibes with Patrick. Patrick knows everybody. Patrick knows everybody. Patrick's just just loud enough that, yeah. Yeah, people are like, very loud. Ah, there's the lighthouse named Patrick. Yeah, I don't know how to take that comment. (laughs) No, the, um, the, the thing is, like, Patrick, you understand this, like, um, or you all probably understand this when you are like a, a like a public figure and mm-hmm. people start to recognize you. It's kind of like at first it gives you that imposter syndrome feeling. Like I came to con like in regular like people were like, oh, you should show up like in your rock star clothes or like your guitar clothes. And I was I was like, no, I kind of I, I don't want anyone to recognize me. I just want to go hair in. gives it away. <laughs> exactly. That's the problem. That's the problem. But I wanted to go. I wanted to go into the weekend with nobody having any preconceived notions of me. However, that was ruined very, very quickly because because people like recognize me from Instagram and from guitar um, from the adoption community. And they were like, oh, I could find you so easily because your long hair gives it away. And I'm like, oh, boy. OK, OK. But should and then chop Pat- it off. Well, and then Patrick was like, "You should wear your your leathers to the to the <laughs> to the um to, to the, the gala, to the yeah, gala yeah, next gala. year." 
uh, yeah, honestly, but I, I was definitely able to find really great community really quickly um, between all the guys I met and then me and um, Patrick, you know, um, Elizabeth Hawks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. So me and Elizabeth uh, got really close during con. Um, nice. Talked to a bunch of a bunch of people, mostly after hours, because um, everyone was kind of like an, in like an emotional heightened state during the conference. So we would all go out. We all went and either did karaoke. I did karaoke with um, uh, Eric on I think Saturday, and like that was all great de- uh, decompressing and community building. And um, so yes, that was the first time I actually had a chance to be ingrained in the adoption community because um, I actually had pretty negative experiences with other adoptees um, a few years back when I first started trying to get into the, like wondering about adoption in the slightest in college. Um, The general opinion that people were giving me was like, all adoption is bad. White people suck and you should hate your white parents. Mm. And I, and they would try to, gaslight me into feeling making me feel like yeah you're brainwashed or they brainwashed you into thinking that you're a white um like apologist and Mm. from so for me that turned me way off to the adoption community for a couple years so i was a little bit hesitant to come back and like try to try to engage but um a couple of my other friends that uh i i found on instagram like eric and like a couple of other people they were like oh no you have to like meet like the right adoptees it's it's all about finding like the right right, right people and and con get, definitely gave me that opportunity that's for sure i love that and i can definitely resonate with uh that experience of first entering the community and kind of finding the wrong people maybe oh yeah i did find some of the right people who i would eventually down the line be able to have better conversations with but i like similarly to you just was given this impression that there are only Korean adoptees and that you could only ever either be on one side or the other. And there yes, was no exactly. middle ground and there was no room for you to be able to have a nuanced conversation. It was like either love oh, yeah. it or you hate it. And then people are either going to really like you or they're really going to hate you. And I was like, yeah. I was like, okay, okay. And then I was like going through it. I'm like, man, I don't think that it's like this. I'm like, this is, this is, this is a strange way to enter. And I was like, if we weren't doing this show, I don't know that I would have continued to pursue the community because yeah. I was just given this really bad first impression. And um, it was just, yeah, it was just really, really interesting. I could really resonate with that. Um, really appreciate you sharing all of this journey up until now. And especially because like Khan feels like has felt like this touch point moment for you, you know, not only to find your people in that, in that sense, but to go back and really start to develop like your this 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 music of your own like it, that especially like captures the feelings that you've been feeling wanting to process and it's now like okay they coming out the amp now like I'm I'm playing these things like oh, yeah. I'm really giving the the language the the sonal language to what I've been trying to express for so long what is outside of these, you know, instrumental EPs that you might be putting out soon? We don't know. We'll link them in the show notes if you got them. <laughs> um, what is what's next for you on this journey? Like, what is something that you're really focused on or really excited or inspired by that you want that you're pursuing relentlessly now? Oh, boy. Well, 
as of right now, it's it's I'm I'm on tour right now, so my tour dates will be somewhere. You guys can link them somewhere. <laughs> but right now, I'm out on tour, so if you you guys are catching me between dates. I'm going out um, to Iowa and somewhere else on this weekend, and it'll it'll be my first time on a giant long ass forty uh, five foot tour bus. So it's my first to- like quote unquote big tour experience yeah. playing festivals. Um, so as of right now, that's taking pretty much all of my energy and all of my uh, time because it is a tribute act. So why I ended up buying the gear I ended up buying today was because they want to get the tones a little bit closer to what's on the records. So I'm having to go back and essentially critically listen and program, re-engineer and program the entire show top to bottom. It's like 45 songs or something like that. So top to bottom program every, every single thing to nail the tones. So right now that's taking all of my energy. But, um, what I really want to do is I, I I really do want to lead a session at con one day. Um, I really, I, one thing I manifest it. Yeah. One thing I really, I was talking to um, Katie about was the fact that there, I felt like for creatives, because I feel like a lot of adoptees are creatives, um, creating a space where we can like talk about art as a catharsis and like, um, and kind of like this whole, whole conversation, like the, like just saying, I'm going to relentlessly pursue art and what I'm passionate about and, and kind of turn off that people pleasing aspect of adoption and being like, this is my season. <laughs> this is mm-hmm. this is what this is what I feel like I need to do to to uh, to live my authentic self. So what's next? I really, really, really want to go on a big multinational or international tour. So that will be that. From everyone that I've talked to, um, one of my biggest, I guess, friends. His name is Tyson Leslie. He's the keyboard player for the band Vixen. And he's like, man, your work ethic, the amount of talent that you have, and you have like the whole package. So for me, like, that's the goal is to find a act that I really resonate with that I can go on like a multinational or a, um, or an international tour with, um, Dua Lipa, please. please. (laughs) (laughs) I I love Dua Lipa. I'm not afraid to admit that she's awesome. Um, but yeah, so that is kind of the relentless pursuit. And KJ, you can probably relate to this. Guitar is one of those things where you're never done. There's mm-hmm. always more. Um, so I practice literally after work. I get off work at six. I practice until 10 and then I go to bed and wake up and go to work again and do it all over again. And then on the weekends, I wake up at um, at seven and I, pr- I practice from seven until seven on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I... that. Damn. All I do is work and practice. So that's how like that relentless aspect comes into play is like, that's all I do. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's like a, it's like an, uh, it's an obsession. It's totally an obsession. <laughs> do we we'll awesome, bring man. this man on? And also if you're listening to the show, please share our show. <laughs> yeah, but I, 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 I think that I don't know how, you you guys have spoken to more adoptees than I have, but I feel like a lot of um, a lot of the adoptees that I've talked to um, kind of have this similar mindset to me. It's either you're all in or you're not. It's like you're gonna like go you're gonna go into it giving a hundred percent or like right. or like what like is it is it even worth it or what is it? And I think 
because in my adoption journey, I never felt like I was good enough growing up for anything. My dad would never give me any praise, very little praise growing up. So I always felt like I was, I was, I was never good enough. So I feel like that's why I ended up pushing myself so hard as I got older was because I was like, well, if, if I'm not good enough, someone else will be good enough. Right. Mm. So I always push myself and I always push myself to that very limit where I'm like, okay, this is a spot where if I push any harder, I'm going to, I'm going to fall off and die. So I, I ride that line between I'm doing way too much and doing just about enough all the time. Yeah. It's, it's a constant back and forth between um, feeling like I'm overdoing it and not overdoing it. It's, it's a, it's a tap dance. Yeah, 100%. So, uh yeah, I mean, I'm excited for you. I'm, I'm I've, we've loved having you on the show. I um the, I'm so glad that you took the time to just jump it back a little bit to explain yeah. what a session guitarist was because that's like kind of inside baseball for other people, but I think it's really important because when you're talking about building community and and like and wanting to grow and do these all do these things, talk about your experience about not feeling good enough or whatever and even like the 1% of Nashville, like to me it just feels like one of one of the privileges that I've had, and and partially this is just my own like how I like to do music, right? My own like sort of collaborative spirit is I'm okay sacrificing quality if it means that I can get someone new, like inspired or re-inspired or introduced to the creative arts, right? And and I what I would love to see, and if you're leading the charge, that's fantastic, with like a, a session on creativity with adoptees is how we can use it, not just to express ourselves, but also to build community. And also be to awesome. be like, do you know what? This actually could be a time when we can bring other people into the fold. And so like that EP that you've like, I don't know, I don't know if it would be a three song EP that's just pure instrumental guitar, but I would love to see is like, can you bring other, like not other, not just other great musicians, but other musicians who are also adoptees who maybe don't feel like that they have the language. And this is, I guess now just for the general audience is like, w if you have a, a creative pursuit that can be collaborative, can you choose to find some collaborators who are also adoptees so that we can begin to create art for ourselves and begin to express ourselves, not just like for our one self, but for our community self, you know? And I think that, um, that that's so important. And, and the idea of your day job being a session guitarist and constantly trying to fit yourself into someone else's idea, someone else's song, trying to match someone else's tone doesn't give you necessarily a whole lot of time to figure out what's my tone, what's my playing style, how do I express myself? And part of that is a necessary like growth. Part of that is a necessary skill share. That's why communities are helpful because they help give you ways to think. And sometimes we need that diversity of thought. We need that diversity of expression that pushes the whole art forward, the whole community forward. Right. And so I, yeah. what I hope, what I hope happens, um, and what, what I've loved hearing you talk about is just the, your relentless pursuit, not just of, of excellence, but of, uh, being genuine of authenticity, being something that, that ultimately brings more community, ultimately builds community. Um, so yeah, so I, I think it's it's great, and I've loved hearing you talk about this. And we're gonna do our little bit to bring community together by transitioning to the thing that brings us all together in the form of a snack. So we're gonna roll into that snack right now. Welcome back to the John G Show. Food time portion. 
Snacky snacks. Snackalicious. Snackalicious time. I like that. I'm going to use that. Uh, we just had a great interview with John Hurley. And um, now we are going to talk about a snack. Speaking of snack, the name of this is Snack Pop, which is kind of funny. That's not uh, has nothing to do with music, but kind of, right? Pop music. For the listener at home, I can literally see the excitement on Nathan's face about this particular <laughs> snack. So I'm excited to hear what he has to say about it. So this is a limited edition snack. Oh, so, so we shouldn't uh, be opening it? I don't know. So I, I didn't know when I bought this. I had to do some research on it, but it's called uh, Snack Pop, but it's the 17 limited edition version. And I'm like, what's 17? And who are these, um, you know, very well-dressed, beautiful, beautiful men on the front of it? Well, that is 17. <laughs> 17 is a K-pop yeah. band. And yep. there's only 13 on the phone. I know, the- I know. <laughs> so that's that's a whole another thing that I'm sure we'd have to go into research is why is there 13 people in a, in a band called 17? But um, I don't know. There's lots of different flavors and they just essentially look like little corn um, snack balls, like crackers. Um, but there was different flavors. So I sent all of you a different flavor. Um, so corn you can, soup. Yeah. So you, I so got you corn can, soup too. Okay, so except for you two. <laughs> Wait, <what>? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there was corn soup, and I think uh, um, KJ's got uh, the enjoy me, enjoy me, which we've Damn. talked about is the rice flavor, right? The rice cakes flavor. Yes, although the the top ingredient is still corn grits. Okay. And my so. flavor is curry. All right, so you kept the good ah, one for yourself. Yeah, you kept the good <laughs> one for yourself. What do you go buy Rude. these for us? <laughs> I don't know what you guys <laughs> like. Maybe you don't like curry. How would I know? Ugh, I love curry. Okay, well now I know. I'll send you this one next time. But yeah, and it's a fairly Cracked large bag, so they smell good. Share. They're they're bigger than I thought. They actually look like cheese balls. Like you know, yeah, I was like, gonna say yeah. They're about, they're just yeah the last time we had packaged cheese balls, wasn't a fan. These wow. look Talking good, about the though. Corn oh, these are oh. good, man. Mm. Oh, oh, that does smell good. Okay. It definitely has the consistency of like a cheese ball. It, it's literally a Korean cheese ball. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> reminds <laughs> me of the cheese. This reminds me of a snack that we've had before. Hmm. Really? The corn soup specifically. Hmm. I guess you both can't don't know what the snack would be because you have different hmm. flavors. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I know you said that you guys, I didn't know you liked curry, but we have not had a whole lot of Korean curry snacks. I, I, mm. I can't even think of any Korean curry because curry, when I think of curry, I think of Indian and Japanese food. Um, <laughs> That's so, funny. Yeah. So I'm curious on yeah. why they chose uh, a curry flavor, but um, it definitely is heavy in the curry. It's actually really do sweet some- too. Do some a- ASMR with the with the bags and stuff, the crinkles. <laughs> Two servings per bag. <laughs> Quite a bunch. Quite a bit. Someone uh, just unsubscribe because of that. <laughs> Please and, don't leave us. And then five Any first people. Time listeners subscribe. definitely have left. How how are yours on sweetness? Because really like sweet. Said, mine's pretty sweet. Okay. Mine is like incredibly salty and then it finishes with a, some sweetness yeah this is pretty sweet i guess i don't know i don't even I mean, know how to describe it i'm really six, trying to remember the other snack that this tastes like i, I mean, mean there I'm is sugar struggling. in it yeah yeah 
But, you know, when I think of cheese balls or balls that look like this, I think of Cheetos and it's just more salty than it is sweet. So it's kind of throwing me off. Um, so I, I looked it up. Injo Mi is like a traditional rice cake type thing. Mm-hmm. So it's weird to have a corn snack masquerading as a rice <laughs> snack. Um, oh, so I think that's like what's throwing me. Imposter but it's really, <laughs> it's really salty. And there's a lot of like seasoning, I guess, on the inside of the bag. So I wish I could have torn it lower because my hands are all nasty. And right. I, don't, I don't like Just that like feeling. That's what's going on with so my if I had, like, too. if I had opened it more, if I had like chopsticks or something, it'd be fine. But <sighs> overall, I think well, it's a really good snack. Chopsticks. Uh, you get those little finger chopsticks. Have you seen those? So yeah, since <laughs> I'm the only one that injured me, oh, yeah. I'm going to go, I'm going to say four out of five. I think these are really solid. I would eat them again. I don't love the delivery, but that's that's on me. I could pour them out or eat them mm. with a, a utensil and keep my hands clean. I just don't like having unclean hands, you know? Mm-hmm. So I yeah, get four that. to five for, for my Injo Me rice cake. What's the actual, what's the snack brand? Is it just called Snack Pop? Uh, yeah, Snack Pop looks like it says Eats On is the is brand. brand. Um, Ichi- Im- imported Ichi- by Soul Trading Ichi- USA. On. Uh, yeah, Eats On. Yeah. Is the so, all right. So yeah, what about you guys? Have um, you? I, I know Patrick is trying to compare it to one of his previous snacks, but have you guys had like a corn soup, like a Japanese corn soup, or? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it tastes like corn soup. Okay, I, I, think, <laughs> I, I, I would say it tastes. It's it's. All I'm getting is, I don't know about you, Patrick, but I get sweet on top of more sweet. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting a heavy corn flavor. I mean, corn I could in. see this being in a soup, I guess. But not I the, could. I could see the flavor being in a soup, but mm. not as sweet. Yeah, there's just like a corn snack that we've had before that this is just really similar to. Maybe like the bugle adjacent okay. corn chips oh, that we've had. Oh, my dog's here. Yeah. Dog is here. Doggo. My dog. He, Hello. He smelled snacks. You can't hear us. <laughs> yeah, my, this is my dog. This is my dog, Nikita. Aww, she says he's a beautiful dog. Yeah, it yeah is. she's oh, a big, girl. big old smile. I want some <laughs> <Yeah>. of that corn. <laughs> I want some corn <clears throat> soup. No, you can't um, have this. I will give these. I don't know. Okay, here's the thing. I feel like these are something I want to eat the whole bag of, but at the same time, I don't want to eat them all. So that's <laughs> giving me some pause. I don't know, but maybe that's a good thing. So I'm going 3.75. Wow. Okay. Very, it's know, an in, this is a very interesting snack to me. I don't know. It, I don't know why. This would be something I would eat like with the drunchies. <laughs> like if, if, if I got home at two in the morning uh-huh. and like, <laughs> oh, like yeah, for sure. Like well, <laughs> after, after my show on, um, on Saturday, I was, it was, it was 95 degrees and sweaty hot outside during the show. So as soon as I got back, I, I wish I had these because I ate a I, I ate a freaking hot pocket at two in the morning, oh. and these would be better. These would be better than a hot pocket. So I I would say four out of five. Yeah. Okay. I, I like that uh, reason. Giving it a five out of five. I know. <laughs> Nikita's and my dog. It. My dog really wants it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I agree. I mean, this curry flavor is good. I like curry. Uh, the sweetness kind of threw me off. So it's not going to be a five for me. So I'm going to gonna give it a four, four as well, four out of five. If it was less sweet and maybe honestly a little saltier, I think. Is Japanese curry sweet? Slightly, I think. Mm, no, you can actually have it at different levels of hot, uh, uh, hotness. So you can have like mild, medium, hot, spicy. Or yeah, but it's hot. not. Does it's the not heat affect too, the sweet though? 
that's my question. I don't know. I mean, it might have, I mean, it has sugar in it, but I never think of it as sweet because I'm always having it on rice. It's got vegetables and meat and stuff. So, yeah. It's okay. Thai, cur- it's thai yeah. curry, what I'm thinking of. That's a little yeah, bit thai sweet. Curry yeah, Thai curry is sweet. Yeah. Uh, yes. Sometimes Korean curry can be sweet, I think. Um, I don't know if so I've yeah, ever so had like Korean me, curry. Yeah, that's what to I me, said. I was I've like, never had it before. I had it at a yeah. restaurant. I don't know if it was like Korean curry, if it was just a Korean joint that served curry, but uh, <laughs> the. Okay. It's been sweet for me. So like mm. a sweet curry makes sense in my brain. Okay. So. Hmm. Yeah. All no, right. I, makes sense. But yeah. I'm not trying to change your rating. I'm just That's saying. Fine. No, I, I, I'm i leaving it. Yeah, I feel I'm like I saying. have different rating for a different flavor. Hmm. So, yeah, so yeah, I need yeah, to try some of the other ones. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nikita's going to inject her rating too. All right. <laughs> what do you think, Nikita? Um, what, do you, what do you want to give it? How many barks? <laughs> well, she ate it. She she. She gives it five out of five. Okay, all right. I'll take it. She likes I'll take it. That oh, yeah, five out of five chops. from Nikita. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, John, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Uh, yeah, thank I know you you've guys. been hyping the show up mm-hmm. in your close friends stories, um, which oh, I yeah. am privileged to be a part of, and yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> what? I didn't um, see anything. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, sorry, Nathan. Um, so- for, sorry, bud. <laughs> for everybody out there listening, you know, you talked about some of your tour dates and stuff. Where can we go to find, how do we follow you? How do we find out how to get tickets to this stuff? Where do we engage with your things at? So my Instagram is at John Hurley guitar and um, my website is easy. It's John Hurley guitar.com. So you can find me those two places. All right. Well, you can find John at those two places linked down here in our show notes. Um, If you want to hang out with us and find us anywhere on social media, you can do so at John Chi show. You can go to our website, John We're easy like that as well. Yeah. Uh, The website has all the different ways that you can support us and you can buy shirts and aprons and mugs. And some oh, other oh. stuff. Uh, I got the tumbler. Oh, yeah, you I got, I got, I got the tumbler. Ripping the tumbler. John's got the tumbler. Repping the, the tumbler. I appreciate nice. that. I appreciate John. Um, what else do we do? If you want to like page. reach, yeah, oh, we have a we have a Facebook page, John G After Party. Uh, if you want to, <laughs> so, I just like I'm just like that's like a little afterthought of mine. Go yeah. blow up that. Go blow up Patrick's DMs even more. Ooh. Yeah, uh, I not on Facebook, so will not respond to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, if you want to reach out to us to have share comments, questions, whatever else of that ilk. You can do so via email, johnchishow at gmail.com. You can also leave us voicemail at 972-677-8867. We've got voicemails incoming and outgoing all the time. I don't know how you have an outgoing voicemail. Um, <laughs> oh, if, you are really, if you're really vibing with the show and you want to find out another way to support the show, we would greatly appreciate if you left us a rating or review wherever it is that you are listening to this right now. We always appreciate those, and it helps us uh, increase visibility, awareness, all of those other great things. If you want to follow me, you can do so at Patrick in the World on all of the places. I'm N Nowak on Instagram and uh, Nathan Nowak on Facebook. And you can one. find me at KJ Roki wherever I want to be found on the internet. Wherever he wants to be found on the internet. Yay! Ooh, we Yay. did it! Maybe, maybe don't. We did it. John, it's been a pleasure. Hopefully, we're going to be able to catch you on tour. And next year, we're going to catch you at Con, leading a session mm-hmm. on building a community through creativity. I'll be there. Hey, I'll do it with you. If anyone wants to uh, 
shout that out and put it in the ear of the people who organize con. I'd appreciate John, I'll that. Do I'll do it with you. I have their ear. I'll yes. do it with you. Yeah, do it we with have me, con's ear. <laughs> we well, have. Who? Who? I don't know what you're talking who, about. What? Yeah. <laughs> we we we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Um, for everybody else out there, thanks for joining us again. Until next Wednesday, John G. John G. Hey-o. Hey-o. Hey-o.